everyone. Uh, Pastor Rob Brockman here with Pastor Paul Carter, lead pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Orillia and uh, host of the Into the Word podcast. Welcome back to our Q&A series where we go a little deeper on some kind of theological questions. And today we want to dig a little deeper on this topic, which is the topic of death and life hereafter. So Pastor Paul, talk us through what happens when a Christian dies. Walk us through that, you know, where do they go? Do they go to soul sleep? Do they go to their eternal destiny in some kind of holding tank? What happens when somebody dies? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a common question. People ask that all the time. And uh, it is a little confusing because sometimes the Apostle Paul will use that phrase, uh, sleep. Yeah. And uh, that was a euphemism, meaning it was, it was a way of expressing that the death is not as, as fearful or as fearsome now for the Christian as it used to be. So it was intended as a euphemism. Yeah. Uh, but in, in our child, uh, children's catechism, we address this. What becomes of the righteous at death? And the answer that is given is their spirit goes to be with the Lord and uh, their body returns to the dust. And, of course, that comes from 2 Corinthians 5, 8. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so what we would say, if you're a believer, if, you're, if you know Christ uh, and you were to die today, your spirit would go immediately into the presence of the Lord and, and your body would begin to degrade, would begin to return to the dust. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Old Testament, we talk about Adam being uh, from the dust. In Hebrew, it's Adam Adamach, man from the dirt. And so to dirt, to dust, uh, we do return. And so there's a picture of that in the Bible in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. There's a picture of, of the souls, all the spirits of those who have died during this time period between the ascension of Christ and his return, they're all waiting, right? They're absent from the body, so they're present with the Lord. And and they're described as as being around the throne of God. And uh, they're not naked, so they're not just disembodied souls. They've been given some kind of an uh, intermediate covering. It's described symbolically as a white robe. So they have a means of expression. You can't express yourself without a body, right? Uh, you, you can't sing, you can't talk, you can't do anything. So they have some kind of intermediate covering, but it's not their final hope. It's not their glorified body. It's not the end product, as it were. And so they're asking, how long? And they're told to wait a little longer until the full number has been gathered. And that full number is pretty important. So long story short, if you're a believer... Your spirit goes to be with the Lord, waits around the throne of God, some kind of temporary covering, but not your eternal body. Uh, and, and your body uh, goes back to the, to the ground. And then eventually, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but eventually that body will be resurrected, transformed in some sense, and there'll be a reunification of spirit and body. Now, if you're not a believer, the scriptures talk about that as well, your spirit goes immediately to hell or Sheol, the realm of the dead. Uh, where you will immediately begin to experience torment and judgment. Mm. Uh, But then that person too, that spirit too, will be resurrected to face judgment in the flesh uh, and then will experience an eternal destiny beyond final judgment as well. So when does that kind of 2.0 body, when does that final product happen? Yeah, the Bible's very clear that that happens at the same time as the second coming of Christ. Uh, one of the main emphases in the New Testament is this: uh, is to remind people, to encourage people, however you want to put it, that nobody, nobody's going to get there before anybody else, right? So uh, in, in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 11, 39 to 40, they talk about all those who've died before us. They're not, gonna, they're not up there right now having the party, having the celebration uh, without us. 
So the scriptures say they will not precede us. They do not receive what was promised ahead of us. Uh, apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So, so they're not there, right? They're, they're hovering around the throne of God. And, and then the Apostle Paul in, in 1 Thessalonians, he wants everyone to understand that it's also not the case that those of us who are alive uh, when Christ returns at the second coming, it's not the case that, that we get the inside track, that, that we'll get to go in before everybody else. No, no, no. It's all going to happen at the same time, in the twinkling of an eye. Mm-hmm. The, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, mm-hmm. right? And in the twinkling of an eye, everyone will be changed, and everyone will cross the finish line together. So uh, we get our, our glorified bodies. The resurrection happens at the second coming mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ. Everybody wants to know, like, what's my body going to look like? Am right. I going to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger? Am yeah. I going to be 23? Right. Am I still going to have my receding hairline? Like, what? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the best indicator for all of that is uh, to look at the post-resurrection appearances of, of Jesus. Philippians 3, uh, verse 21 says that he, Jesus, will change our bodies to be like his glorious body. Mm. So that's the best comparable there. And so when you think about those post-resurrection appearances of, of Christ, you think about what he was doing. Yeah. He was walking. He was talking. He was working. He made a fire. And uh, he was eating. Not only did he, he eat in front of them, it, 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 it seems like he ate in a, almost a performative way, a demonstrative way. Uh, he wanted them to see that. Luke mm. tells us that. So uh, we, can, we can walk. We can work. We can talk. Uh, we can eat in our, in our glorified bodies. Hmm. This brings up a question about um, how people are buried, you know, whether, does this mean then that we, we shouldn't be cremated and we yeah. should be bodied, I mean, buried bodily and kind of face up? What do you think about yeah. that? Well, it's interesting. Historically, up until about 50 years ago, Christians were never cremated. Cre- cremation was generally associated with Eastern religions, which again, uh, Eastern religions typically understood the body as a cage for the soul. And, uh, and so burning was a way of, in essence, releasing the hmm. soul. Uh, most Eastern religions had a, a disembodied understanding of eternity. So if there was an understanding of life after death, it was spiritual only. No, no physical, no, no bodily aspect. And so Christians, because of what they believed about the resurrection of the body, uh, they buried their bodies whole. They did not typically burn them. And, and the belief was that like a seed grows into a tree, the, the Apostle Paul used this analogy in 1 Corinthians 15, like a seed grows into a tree. There's continuity there. The, the tree is biologically related to the seed, um, but, the, but the tree is different too. And so we've understood on that basis that, that our glorified bodies, our heavenly bodies, will grow out of uh, the, the substance of our present bodies, but they will be substantially different. Hmm. And so as a witness to our resurrection hope, as a witness to the last aspect of our hope, as it were, Christians are typically buried bodily. Now, I wouldn't say that cremation is a sin, and I wouldn't say that, you know, I certainly wouldn't say that if you're cremated, it's going right. to you know, interrupt your things. experience <laughs> on, the, at the, on the day of Christ's return. You know, think of all the sailors, for example, who are buried at sea, mm. uh, and their, their, their bodies dissolve in the water. So if Jesus can reassemble a body that, that has been dissolved in water, he can certainly uh, reassemble bodies that have been cremated. But I would say re- the real issue is a failure to witness uh, everything you do as a Christian should be a witness, right? The Bible says even the way you do marriage, even the way you relate to your wife mm. is telling the gospel. So, you know, I would say your funeral is your, is your last opportunity to witness to your friends and loved ones. 
and, and you want to say something in that moment. And what you want to say is what you believe about the gospel. That mm-hmm. I believe Jesus is coming back. And I believe that this body is going to be resurrected and gloriously changed. And I believe that I'm going to spend eternity in this resurrected body. And so, anyway, it makes, it makes sense from a witnessing perspective mm-hmm. to continue on with the Christian tradition of bodily burial. Mm-hmm. What about where will we spend this eternity in these bodies? Yeah. Well, the Bible, in both the Old Testament and the New, in Isaiah 66, in Revelation 21, and 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 13, talks about the new heavens and the new earth. So this renewed cosmos. Again, Christianity is bodily with respect to its teaching, its hope. Um, and, and so you need a physical universe, right, to have a physical eternity. And to be clear, God doesn't need a physical universe. You know, God is a spirit and does not have a body like men. That's another line from our children's catechism. So God didn't create the physical universe because he needed a place to be, right? God, God doesn't have a body, so he, that's, that's not a thing. Um, we need a place to be. We need the physical universe. The physical universe is for us. And so the scriptures talk about the, uh, the renewed cosmos. Peter even talks about it being renewed by fire. And, you know, of course, we, we don't know exactly what that means. I mean, our imaginations run wild. What does that mean? Does that mean a star is going to explode and whoosh, this wave of fire is going to go throughout the, the universe and, and cleanse like the flood? He compares it to the flood. Mm. You know, how, how the flood scrubbed and scoured. Um, this wave of fire is going to scrub and scour, and then everything will be rebuilt. Uh, everything will be renewed and restored. So we're going to spend eternity in, in, in a renewed cosmos, the entirety of the renewed cosmos. Every time they talk about uh, eternity, they, they say new heavens and new earth, right? And, and in, in the Bible, when you talk about heaven, uh, the, the word is generally used both in a literal sense, meaning the, the heavens, the, the, the solar system, as it were, the, the cosmos, and then, you know, sometimes Paul talked about like the third heaven, like the realm of God, the spiritual dimension, right? But when we talk about new heavens and new earth, we're talking about renewed cosmos. That's mm. where you're going to be. When we talk about when we go to funerals, we hear things like, oh, Uncle Frank's up there playing golf with Jesus. Yeah. Like, what are we doing in eternity? What are the kinds of things we're doing? Yeah. Well, I don't know if there'll be golf or not. I, I actually don't terribly like golf, so right. I, I mean, <laughs> I think there'll be baseball, but <laughs> as for whether there's golf or not, I don't know. But uh, what you can see in Revelation 21 and 22, the, Revelation 21 and 22 are like um, like a preview. You know, when we used to go to movies before COVID, and yeah. uh, and there'd be and there'd be a preview, and you'd get this this glimpse, and it it, it, it didn't give you the whole plot, obviously, or, it, or that would ruin it. You wouldn't go to see the movie, but it gives you a preview. And Revelation 21 and 22 is kind of a preview of eternity. And so you've got the new heavens and the new earth. You've got um, the whole people of God, Old Testament and new, kind of descending mm-hmm. to this purified. So, I mean, if you're, if you're putting the timeline together, you've got this fire that, that uh, scours, scrubs, and, and renews everything. And then, and then out of the dimension of heaven descends the gathered people of God, mm. Old Testament anew, and they begin to go out like a, a river that brings life and healing and, and everything comes back to life. And then it talks about them in Revelation 22. It talks about them bringing into uh, the, the New Jerusalem, bringing into this, this place, which sounds like the sort of the crossover between dimensions, as it were, bringing into this place the tribute of the nations. Mm. So, I mean, what is it? I mean, think about that. We've got nations... 
that's interesting. I, I, I wonder how many people know that, that, mm. that there'll be nations in eternity. We've got tribute, which means they're making something, mm. right? So there's, there's art, there's culture, there's industry, there's agriculture, there, there's production. They're making things, so they're working, and then they're bringing those things as an act of worship and presenting them to, to their creator, to their God. Uh, so obviously there's work, obviously there's worship, obviously there's travel. There's three things right there you can say. Uh, that'll characterize our experience in eternity. Hmm. Earlier you talked about people will bodily be raised mm-hmm. and then you talked about people will be put in hell. Right. Um, there's a big debate around hell and is it destruction? Is it eternal suffering? Is hell everlasting? Is it for a time? Yeah, yeah it's an interesting debate. And, and, and I, I've, there's some debates that I, I, I have no sympathy for and other debates I have some sympathy for, mm-hmm. right? Meaning I can, you can sort of understand where it's coming from. And uh, This is a tender topic, obviously. We're, we're talking about people that we know and that we love, and, and, and so there's, there's an empathy there that I think is entirely appropriate. Uh, in the scriptures, hell is speak, spoken of, being, being cast into the lake of fire, sp- spoken of as the second death. So there's a, there's a sense, and that's where people will say, well, yeah. maybe it's, it's like a second dying. Yes, um, and, and yet it's also spoken of as an everlasting dying. And, and so, for example, uh, Jesus in his teaching on the, the final judgment, uh, he, he talks about, he uses everlasting or eternal. He says, these will go into, into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life, Matthew twenty five forty six. So he uses the same adjective, as it were, to describe both destinies. So I don't think there's any room for thinking that there's any any difference in duration be, between the one and the mm-hmm. other. Like whatever, however long you think the new heavens and the new earth are going to last, that's that's how long the other destiny is going to last. And so, mm-hmm. um, typically, we've understood it to be an everlasting dying. Yeah, always always dying. That's eternal destruction, eternal death, right. as it were. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For those people who are in hell. Sometimes people talk about a second opportunity, a second right. chance, yeah. um, maybe at that final judgment. Is there a second opportunity for people in hell to put their faith in Christ? Mm-hmm. A lot of people really want to believe that. Yes, yeah, and, and obviously it's easy to understand why that might be. Um, we talked a little bit about this recently. We were going through the Apostles' Creed, and, and we dealt on that line, he descended to the dead or he descended to hell. What is that about? And, of course, the church has has always understood that that. Jesus on Holy Saturday uh, went down to Sheol, the realm of the dead, uh, which w- would have been sort of understood at that point as a three-chambered post-death re- uh, experience while you were waiting for further developments in God's redemptive plan. So, uh, you know, there would have been a realm for the righteous dead, a realm for the unrighteous dead, and then a, a, a bottom chamber for spirits being kept in prison for the day of judgment. So the church has understood that Jesus went down and liberated basically the Old Testament saints, right? So, um, you know, Abraham was, was down there. It's, it's sometimes even referred to as Abraham's bosom, this waiting place with Abraham, the people of Old Testament faith. So Jesus goes down and releases those because the cross of Jesus Christ purchased salvation and eternity, not just for New Testament believers, but for Old Testament believers. Hmm. So we've always believed that. But then some took that a step further and said, well, maybe he also went into this, sort of the next chamber where people didn't have faith, and, and he preached to them too, and so maybe, maybe everybody left. Well, the scriptures don't say that. There's certainly no indication in the Bible of that, and I would say that makes the rest of the Bible really hard to understand. Like, mm. 
if, if there's a second chance for salvation after you die, then what's the urgency now, right? Why mm -hmm. not live your life? Right. And then even if you're wrong, you get another chance. You, can have the, you, you could literally have the best of both worlds. It doesn't make any sense of, of the urgency that we see in the scriptures to repent and put our faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so the church has always actually been very careful to press back on that and, and to sort of establish the limit of that teaching, Christ's descent, and to say very explicitly that it does not include a, a second opportunity for putting your faith in Christ after death. And so, uh, for example, Matt Emerson of uh, Oklahoma Baptist University says here, in the first four centuries of the church were careful to clarify that Christ's descent is only liberating for the faithful. They did not affirm a post-mortem second chance for salvation upon Christ's descent. And they explicitly denied that Christ's descent saved all those in Haiti. So uh, there's certainly no evidence in the Bible of that and certainly no tradition, no, no wide tradition for that in the history of the Christian church. Mm. For those people who, will, you know, we have confidence of eternal life, maybe the thought comes into our heads that like, man, I'm going to be up in heaven mm -hmm. enjoy, or in eternity enjoying Christ and enjoying God and I have all these loved ones who will be in eternal judgment and torment. Yeah. Um, how do we be happy? How could we be happy in heaven while having that kind of knowledge? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think everything or a lot of things are going to look very different from the perspective of eternity. Um, I think when we know God the way we should and uh, when we see history, when we see the whole of it, right? We see everything through the lens of our experience and we see it in a very linear sense. You know, this is what's happening to me. This is what affects me. We can't see very far. We can't see very wide. When we see everything from God's perspective and through Jesus' eyes, I think a lot of things are going to look very different. And, and I think we're going to understand things there that we don't understand here. Um, I think we will probably be amazed, I suspect we'll be amazed at the patience of God. Mm. Uh, you know, Peter talks about understanding this delay as, as an expression of the patience of God. Count the patience of God as salvation. He says, this is... This is God making it possible for as many. Why hasn't God come? Why hasn't Jesus come back? You know, Peter says it's because he, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He's he's being extraordinarily merciful. You know, the question isn't why are some excluded. The question is really why are some redeemed? Right. Um, we we should all be excluded. Who? Which of us is without sin? Which mm. of us is not a rebel? And 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 the door is open and it's being kept open and and it's being kept open really long and and again Peter says this is all because God wants as many and and we we already read from Jesus in Matthew twenty four where he says this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and then the end will come so the door's not going to close until the gospel has gone throughout the whole world um, and 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 so you know at the end of the day those who are not there are going to be not. Not there because they've rejected their creator and uh, because they've rebelled. And, and so, again, I think the fundamental question is, is not why are some excluded, but, but why are any included? Um, but, listen, I, I'm not sure that's a satisfying answer to anybody on this side of eternity. On the other side of eternity, all we know is that the Bible says he'll wipe away every tear, which I would assume is a symbolic way of saying he will address all our sorrows uh, we'll have knowledge of God and experience of God that will right-size and adjust all our emotions. So I probably can't answer the how. Um, I, can, I can just say with confidence that it, it will be done. Mm -hmm. uh, we will know things. We will see things. We will be comforted. Mm. You touched on this earlier, but another question that comes up is will we recognize mm -hmm. one another in heaven? What do you think about that? Well, I, again, our best, our best anticipation, our best preview of that 
is by looking at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And the disciples did recognize Jesus, though often not at first. So you think of that story of walking on the road to Emmaus, and they didn't, they didn't recognize him at first. And, and, I mean, there may have been a very simple explanation for that. Maybe it was raining and Jesus had his hood up. I don't know. Or it may have been that he looked five years younger and five inches taller, right? I, I, again, I don't know. They didn't recognize him at first, but, but then the, the Bible says that they recognized him in the breaking of bread, when they, which is a great double entendre, right? Like it means a couple things there. But it, it means when, when they sat at the table with him and all of a sudden their eyes were open and they, and they, rec- they, they knew it was him. And so, I, you know, I would, again, based on this idea that our bodies are going to be related to the bodies we put in the ground but different, uh, I think we will recognize each other. It might take a second. I'm like, is that, hey, Pastor Rob, right? But we will recognize each other. Hmm. When people often think about heaven and the, the idea of like, oh, we're just going to be singing for eternity and people are yeah. like, oh, man, that sounds boring to me. <laughs> like, will we be bored in heaven? Address that kind of often comment. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I always find that comment funny because... Uh, anyway, I won't go into why I find it funny, but why do you not like worship? Would be right. One of my questions. But anyway, <laughs> exactly. uh, but also I would say work and worship are the two most human things, right? And and there, keep in mind there was work before there was the fall. So yeah. sometimes we think work is a punishment. No, no, work being frustrating, the fact that you make something and then it breaks or it's twice as hard as it ought to be, uh, that's part of the curse. But work itself is part of what makes us human. Mm. So, again, in these previews that we have in Revelation 21 and 22, we see work and we see worship. We see cultivation, industry, culture, art, and, and we see worship. Those are the things that are most human. And, and so I, I would say, no, I don't think we'll be bored at all. Like, we're going to be human as we were always meant to be, doing what humans were created to do. And you never feel better than when you're doing what you're supposed to do and you're created to do. And we're going to be with God. Mm. And the Lord is infinite in, in all of his qualities. So we'll, there'll never be a day, you know, 10,000 years, 10 million years, 10 billion years where you go, wow, I'm getting bored with God. I think I figured it all out. No, no, it's a, an infinite experience and an infinite delight. What about marriage and sex in heaven? Will that yeah. be there? Yeah, that's a great question. I get asked that all the time. And I would say this, you know, um, like I said a minute ago, when we get to eternity, we're going to look at a lot of things different. And, and the, the greatest joys of this experience might not be the, the same as the greatest joys of that experience. But we're going to look at things differently on the other side. To, to the answer of marriage and sexuality, I would, I would say it, it doesn't seem so. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew twenty two thirty, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, there are a couple things that could mean. Uh, to be like the angels in heaven could, could mean that we're without an inclination to sin, and therefore a restricting covenant like marriage uh, would not be necessary. We would just choose to, to be faithful uh, to our partner. Uh, of course, that makes you, what, what about somebody who was married and then uh, her, her husband died and she married somebody else, right? All kinds of complications mm-hmm. if we choose to go down that road. H- historically, more, more Bible interpreters, more theologians have understood that to mean that because there is a connection between sexuality and procreation in the scriptures. That's part of how we were to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And be, because in the resurrection, it's the full number of God's people, right? That, that is stressed again and again mm, and again. Yeah. Like even in the dimensions of the New Jerusalem, uh, it's very clear because we're, we're, they've got 12 gates and 12 foundations. 12 gates are named after the 12 tribes of the Old Covenant. The, the 12 foundations are named after the, the, the 12 apostles in the, in the New Testament. And so 
It's this idea, it's the full number of the people of God. So there's no more procreation. Uh, there's, there's, there, are no, there are no Christians, there are no covenant members born in the new heavens and the new earth. And, and therefore, no need for marriage and sexuality per se. So more have understood that they'll be like the angels thing to mean that the full number of them will be there and they will be serving God in, in that role uh, for all eternity. But that doesn't mean we won't have relationships. It doesn't mean we won't hang out. They'll just be different. There'll be relationships appropriate to that reality and they'll be wonderful and joyous. So, hmm. yeah. Final question for you, and, and this is often a, the top question. How close do you think mm. that we are to the return of Christ and to the beginning of this everlasting life with Him? Well, Jesus said a couple interesting things, right? He, he said we could never know the day or the hour. So, you know, don't rent a van and put on the side of the van when you, when you think this is happening. Right. You know, that actually hasn't been done. Don't yeah. do that. <laughs> um, so we, we're not going to know the day or the hour. But he also said watch the signs. So meaning, I, from that I get the idea that we should have an idea that it's, that it's approaching, but we ought, ought not to be overly particular in the things that we say about that. Okay, uh, so what are, what are some of the signs? What are some of the things that Jesus associated with the time of the end? In, in Matthew 24, verses 10 to 14, he seems to talk about two. He says, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So it sounds like two things are going to happen simultaneously right before the, the time of the end. Uh, there's going to be a great apostasy, a great falling away uh, during a time of lawlessness. And at the same time, there's going to be a last great push to complete the task of world mission. And you can see very easily how one might think that we're in those times right now. Uh, certainly, th there does appear to be a last great push right now to complete the task of world evangelism. And the Internet, for all its evils, is certainly expediting that. Um, it is, it's helping us get the message out of Christ's great victory. It's helping us get the, the message of the gospel out to all the nations. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we are living through the greatest apostasy, the greatest falling away from the faith in Christian history in the West. And, and so, yeah, I, I think people could certainly be forgiven for thinking these, these are the signs. Yeah. Uh, I, I think these, these are the signs, how deep we are in the signs, how specific I want to be about how many years or decades. You know, that's the sort of stuff Jesus told us to avoid. But if those are the signs, then I would say uh, the, end, the end must be at hand. Hmm. And then what do we do? You know, the scriptures say, what, Peter says, you know, what sort of people should we be as we see all this approaching? Hmm. Talks about holiness. Talks about godliness. Hmm. Talks about waiting, right? So don't get panicked. Don't, don't, you know, don't lose your head. And he talks about hastening, which, which we understand. I mean, do the things that you're supposed to be doing. Get involved in the task of world mission. Hmm. If, if that's what's got to be done before the Lord returns, then how committed are you to it? So, you know, and then 1 John 3 talks about all those who have this hope in him purify themselves just to see as pure. So boiling this down, I, I would say if, if, if that's what you see, then the net result should be an increased commitment to holiness and mission. Mm. Mm. That's a good word.
Well, thank you very much, Pastor Paul. I know this is a live issue you know, for a lot of folks. It's a very sensitive issue, so thanks for taking the time for dealing with this. And uh, thank you for joining us. And if anything we've said kind of stirred a question up in your mind, we'd love to hear from you. So please email. You can email me at rob at cornerstoneaurelia.org, and um, we'll get back to you as soon as we can. But thanks for joining us on this very special Q&A episode on death and the light hereafter. And we'll see you again soon. Bye for now. Bye-bye.